Hey everybody, hello and welcome. It's great to have you joining us here on YouTube. I trust it's been a good morning so far and uh, that you'll enjoy uh, the rest of the meeting with us. If you're joining in for the first time, man, welcome. I'm so glad to have you with us. Heard this week again, uh, one of our Grace Cove guys saying how he'd introduced his friend to our YouTube channel and his mates had been uh, watching us online. If that's you, welcome. If you've found us one way or another, you're here. We're so glad to have you with us. And uh, for the Grace Cove guys, for you guys that are with us regularly or maybe just you've found us online and you're watching us regularly, I'm asking, have you invited someone to this uh, quote church meeting this morning? Have you used what Grace Cove is doing, our online YouTube or the social media stuff that we post? It's a great opportunity just to start a conversation with somebody that you can have and then point them towards Jesus, just like we said last week. So if you haven't, then man, why not? And get onto it this coming week. Even now, maybe there's something that you, you can uh, tell a friend about from this morning's meeting. We look forward to that. Remember, Jesus has given us a mission to tell the whole world about Jesus. And that's what we want to be part of. And so we following the mission, and we're building community here at Grace Cove. So if you haven't yet, jump on those comments and greet people, say hello, and tell us where you're from, whether you're in the suburbs here in Pretoria or overseas somewhere. We'd love to know that we're building a community and not just a bunch of people that happen to be watching the same screen together. And so say hello, and remember to invite a friend. We'd love to have this gospel go out more and more. So we've got such great news. On Friday, we had our uh, building plans approved. So a week ago, we've had a building meeting this week, and we can't uh, wait to start getting uh, active with our building. We've got all sorts of quoting processes and foundation designs and, and uh, finalizing so that we can actually break ground. We're trusting in the next four or five weeks even. How about that? And so there'll be some opportunities for you to get involved. There's some stuff that we can do with work parties just to have a sense that we have a part to play. So look out for that and uh, jump in, be part of that. Uh, but also just want you to know that uh, we are looking forward to getting this thing going. The ultimate plan, if you know the church, the, the, the church property, uh, we want to take the toilets out of the auditorium, build a toilet block between the auditorium and the cafe, and uh, make some fellowship uh, roofed area in the courtyard to provide for overflow as well. And then the second uh, step will be to build a kid's barn below the children's classrooms to give us more space for our children. You know, we're waiting every day to see what the government says. Should they open uh, regulations and allow churches to meet 50%, well, then it makes sense that we need more seating space so that we can accommodate more people. And so that's the goal. I trust you get behind it. I trust you pray with us. I trust you. You go to God and say, God, how can I be part of this? And we'll be letting you know and updating you as we go. Tina Turner sang a song. Do you remember who she is? She sang a song that went like this. What's love got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? She said, I've been taking a new direction, but I have to say I've been thinking about my own protection, and it scares me to feel this way. The chorus, what's love got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart 
can be broken. So you may have noticed that over time, we begin to look like the things we put our affections on, those things that are in our hearts, we, become, we begin to come like, don't, to become like, don't we? Maybe you've heard it said that married couples eventually begin to complete each other's sentences. They even tell each other's stories. I've heard people say that you begin to look like your pet. Why don't you look around the lounge right now and put in the comments, who does that dog in your lounge look like? Is it you? Is it your spouse? Is it one of the kids? Uh, maybe your hairstyle looks like the dog. I don't know. But it's interesting how we become alike the thing that we love the most. Uh, people say that you can tell each other by the places you've been and the things that you set your heart on. Have you noticed that? Um, I mean, why is it that when people start wanting to exercise, first of all, they've got to get the outfits. I've got to go and get some exercise clothes so that I can look like an exercising person. Why is it that you can tell the difference between a surfer and a computer guy just by looking at them? We all know that farmers wear khaki, right? And guys with tattoos wear vests. Why is it? Because we start to look like that which we put our affections on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So welcome this morning to our final installment of our Redefine series. This morning we're going to be looking at Redefine My Worship. And we've spoken so far that we can redefine who God is to me. We said He knows us, He's with us, and God is able. We said then we can redefine who we are. And we said like David, Lord, search me, test me, and most importantly, lead me. Then we said we can redefine our now, that we're not our circumstances, that we are able to control. We should take control of the things that we can control. We choose one action and win with that and then go again. Don't feel overwhelmed. Control what you can control. We spoke about redefining our purpose. And we said that our purpose lies in the sweet spots of our talent, our passion, and our mission. And last week we spoke about redefining my witness. My challenge was that we actually take notice of the people that God has put into our world. See them for who they are and where they're at. And then we should reach out and make a difference to each one as we can, one by one. Don't be overwhelmed by the task is so great, but choose one and start there. Show them who Jesus is. We said, by the things we say, the things we do, sometimes even just our testimony and trial, and sometimes our example of the way we live our life. We redefine our witness. In other words, there are people all around us that we, by living a godly life, can point towards Jesus. So this morning we redefine my worship. You know that man is created to worship, but sometimes it's a little bit difficult to do that. I wonder how your singing part of our worship went this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning 
to end. You see, mankind is created. God has designed us to have a sense of the divine. We are created with a capacity for awe. It's an unusual thing created in God's image, a sense of, of, of worship, a sense of div- divine and awe. You've got to be a very hard-hearted person to not go out into, into nature, maybe to go out into the mountains and you see these huge cliffs and the vast landscape around you and feel nothing. Or maybe down to the beach and you look at the storms or a calm day with the sun and the beauty Maybe you're out in the forest and you look at the tall uh, trees and you, you, you sense that this is not man-made. It's bigger than little human beings could have put together. And there's something that thrills in our hearts because we realize, wow, God is bigger than me. Perhaps it's looking at art and thinking, wow. Maybe it's watching an act of mercy and thinking, gee, that's something special Perhaps finding something that amazes, that enthralls, that mystifies. Even if it's just a fast car or a loud motorbike, there's something in us that takes note and is stirred deep within when we find something that's larger than we are. If you've been to a sports stadium, when you walk in and you look at that huge array of people, something in us leaps when we realize how big the world is in con compared to human beings. Psalm Psalm 8, verse 1 says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. goes on to say, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you take care of them. So God has designed us with the capacity to worship Him. But like I've said, those things around us, the circumstances that we face, can press in and define us, in today's case, to define our worship. And we want to redefine that we can worship God well. And so what is worship? Well, worship is not singing. It's more than that, trust me. It's an expression of a heart that's turned to God in awe. You can sing songs with nothing in your heart, but when our hearts are turned to the Lord, then even our breathing, the thoughts in our mind can be worship to Him. We express our hearts turned to God. And then worship is a response to an appreciation of who God is. It's an understanding and then a response to who He is. The dictionary uses these words for worship. It speaks of displaying reverent honor, homage, Love, to express adoration or devotion. And so we can say that worship is really worth-ship because it's an, an it's a ascribing of worth to something or someone. If you've been around for a while, you will remember this one. Bob Dylan caused such a scandal when he wrote this song. He said, you've got to serve somebody. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And you know, actually, he was right. And in those days, everyone got, got freaked out because they thought, oh, he's saying we must serve the devil. That's not the point he was making. What he was saying that human beings want to worship. And if we don't worship the Lord, we'll worship something else. We'll find something that our heart desires that we worship after. 
And the real question is not whether I will worship or not, but whom or what I will worship. So let's ask ourselves some questions this morning and figure out how we redefine our worship. We began with God, redefining Him. Now we end with our worship, redefining my approach to Him, what I offer Him, redefine my worship. So I want to ask this morning, why is it that true worship is so difficult? Have you noticed that? Some days you just, you don't even want to lift your head off the pillow. Never mind worship or never mind engage with God. And I think worship is difficult for a number of reasons. Firstly, because our hearts harden so quickly. Sometimes through disappointment, we've been let down by others. We think, oh, once bitten, twice shy, I'm not going there again. I opened my heart to a friend and they dropped me. I won't do that again. Sometimes it's because of dependence. We've learned in life that I better not depend on anyone else but me. Those that we've depended on have hurt us or betrayed us. And so we choose not to depend on anyone, least people, definitely not God. The third thing is that we harden our hearts because of distraction. Remember last week we spoke about the parable of the sower. We said that the paths were hard-packed ground where the seed couldn't find a place to germinate. Why? Because the paths are the busyness of life, the toing and froing, the, 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 the rushing around, and the seeds won't germinate there. When our hearts are busy because of distraction, there's no fertile ground for worship to spring from. And so, first of all, worship is difficult because our hearts get hardened so quickly. The second reason that worship is difficult is because there are many suitors for our souls. Now, that's an old-fashioned word, suitors. There's many loves in this world, right? And you and I allow other loves to intervene. I remember reading the Screwtape Letters. It's a great book. I recommend it. And uh, it's the devil is making a strategy how to distract the Christians from serving Jesus. And it was written... A long time ago, and it says we'll distract them with newspapers. <laughs> you imagine those days that Christians were worried that we're spending too much time reading a physical newspaper and it's distracting us from God? How about in this day and age when we have so many distractions? There's so many things that we can set our hearts' affections on. And you know what? Things get into our hearts quickly, don't they? It doesn't take much and all of a sudden you realize you're longing after something new or you, you, you're rushing down a road after something you have to have. So there are many suitors for our soul. The third reason it's hard to worship is that the devil has a strategy to stop you and I worshiping God. Do you know that? The devil has a strategy. And the devil was an angel in heaven. He said, why should they praise you and not me? And there's a strategy that the devil has to stop you worshiping God. In, Ma in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes into the desert. He fasts for 40 days, spends time with his father. And then the devil comes to tempt him away from his purpose of following, of following the father. And the devil comes with these three questions, these three strategies to stop his worship of God the father. In verse 3 of Matthew chapter 4, he says, if you are the Son of Man. The first thing that the devil questions of Jesus is Jesus' identity as a Son of God. The second thing that he questions is he says, It is written that God will command His angels concerning you. 
In other words, he questions God the Father's care for his Son. And the third thing, in verse 9, he says, Man, if you bow down to me, I will give you all of this. What he's saying is he's questioning God the Father's plan for his life. He says, you don't have to follow the Father. Bow down to me, the devil, and I will give everything to you. And it's the same way in this life that the devil has a strategy to stop you and me worshiping God. He puts thoughts in our minds or or circumstances in our lives to question whether we are sons and daughters of God. To question whether we know that God is a caring father of us. To question whether the plan that God has for my life is a good one or not. So you see, because worship and honest and legitimate response to the divine, responding in awe to God is so vital and important, the devil wants to distract us. So our hearts get hard easily. There's so many other loves that want to distract us from God. And then the devil's strategy itself will stop us from worshiping God. So then number two, what does worship call for then? And let me hasten to add, it doesn't call for a band or even a musician. It doesn't doesn't call for a time of day or a sentimental mood or emotion. We don't have to wait for that favorite song for a touch from the Lord to be so real. Worship happens at any moment while we're busy with anything. But I think worship, true worship, takes three things. It takes sacrifice, it takes surrender, and it takes a sense of the sovereignty of God. You can be in the boardroom, you can be in the car in traffic, you can be in the middle of a fight with your spouse, and you can sense the sovereignty of God. I guarantee it will stop you in your tracks. All of a sudden, you'll be overcome by a sense of the holiness of God. And it's amazing how the things that were so catching our attention fade away so quickly. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it's the story of that rich young man and he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I've given everything to the poor and I've looked, I've done all these good things. I fast and I pray and all this stuff. What must I do to get eternal life? In other words, he's saying, I've sacrificed a lot. Aren't you impressed? And Jesus said, it's not about your sacrifice. I want to be first. I want you to sacrifice all in comparison to knowing me. The first thing worship calls for is a sacrificed Remember Abraham and Isaac, he was willing to sacrifice his son thinking God would raise him from the dead if only he could worship God. Is there something that you need to sacrifice this morning that stands in the way of your worship of God? Something that's distracting you or more important in inverted commas. And you need to say, Lord, I surrender this thing to you. I sacrifice it. The second thing is surrender. It's being yielded. It's, it's hands up. It's like, Lord, whatever you want, I'll follow you. I'll let him be in charge. I'll let him not just be my savior, but be my Lord as well. It's a sense of humility to say, God, you are God and I'm man and I follow you. Sacrifice, surrender, and then sovereignty. You see, the heart of worship is the admission that someone is greater than me. Forgive me for a moment, but there was a joke. Probably not politically correct anymore. In the olden days, they used to say, why could a lady never be the president of America? And apparently they said, well, the president of America needs to be over 40. I know it's terrible and sexist and horrible, all of that. But the point that is made is that you have to admit 
that you fall into a certain category if you want to participate in that thing. Now forgive me for the illustration, but it will stay in your mind, I promise. The point is, when it comes to worship, if we can't understand God is sovereign, in other words, He is bigger than me, true worship will never happen. If I'm not willing to admit, God, you are greater than me, which means, technically, I am not the God of my world. I'm not the King of my domain. I admit that He is sovereign. I acknowledge Him as King. I acknowledge Him as supreme. I acknowledge Him as the one who deserves my honor, respect, and service. True worship comes from sacrifice of those things that stand against Him. Surrender, saying, Lord, I will follow you wherever. And thirdly, sovereignty, understanding that God is greater. So the third point this morning, which I really hope will help us, especially in these difficult COVID pandemic times. The question is then, when do we worship? When do we worship? You know, sometimes it's like, well, when do you say grace? I heard of a family like our family that prayed every meal. Another family said, oh, well, when we buy the groceries at the beginning of the month, we say a prayer. And then we don't have to pray for the rest of the month because the groceries are all blessed. So the question is, well, when do we pray? When do we worship? Well, again, I think there's, let me give you three examples. I think we need to worship God whenever we need to reorient or redefine ourselves in our relationship to Him. Whenever my worship is not true, I must redefine. Do you know, according to the Scriptures, that we can worship God in times of distress. I wonder, through the COVID lockdown and all the challenges we've faced, whether your worship has been more or less, whether it's been better and more beautiful, or whether it's been less and, and, and anemic and frail. Psalm 18, verse 6 says, in my distress I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From His temple He heard my voice. My, he heard my cry. It came before Him and into His ears. Verse 9 says, He parted the heavens and He came down. Verse 16 tells us, He reached down from on high and He took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. Friends, sometimes in our distress, we forget to turn to the Lord. And I'm not saying you've got to, you know, put on a catchy beat. But when you and I are in distress, let's turn to God. And maybe it's with remembering Scripture. Maybe it's by speaking the words in our heart to the Lord. Somehow return to Him here it says, the Lord heard my cry. Second time or season when we can worship the Lord is when we're in a season of lack. Isn't that amazing? We worship God even when we have less than we expect to have. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17, it says, Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the Fields produce no food. In other words, when everything you know goes down, when no sales are made in your business, when your salary is delayed, when no payment hits your account, that's when we worship the Lord. Verse 18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like that of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The third season, time, we can worship the Lord is in celebration. 
when there's a praise in our hearts, we must remember to turn to God. Remember Jesus heals ten lepers and only one comes back to say thank you. Too often, celebration is more dangerous to our worship than lack, than distress. Because we normally turn to God for help when we need it, but when things are going good, we can forget God. Psalm 54 verse 6 says, I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. And you have delivered me from all my troubles. And my eyes have looked in triumph of my foes. Folk, we need to redefine our worship. It's not just coming to a building and singing songs. It's not just hopefully standing in the YouTube uh, uh, video and singing along. Worship goes deeper. Singing helps. But worship is more important than these things. Worship in every season of the soul. I finish with this just to say that there is power in worship. It's great power in worship. There's the power of protection. And in 1 Samuel 16, you may remember Saul is is, um, beset by a demonic spirit. And he calls David to play the harp and to worship. And while David worships, the demon leaves him. There's a time when the demon is so strong that that Saul tries to kill David with a spear. And the Bible says he avoided it. You see, when we worship, we protect it from the devil. We protect it from our lives. There's power in worship to rescue us. We read last week in Acts chapter 16. Remember, Paul and Silas had been arrested. They'd been put into jail. They were confined. And what were they doing at 12 o'clock at night? Man, they were worshiping the Lord and praying. And as they worship, the Lord set them free. If you need rescue, folk, worship God. There's power in our worship. It gives us perspective. I want to say lockdown and COVID and all this overwhelming stuff in this world has fought our perspective, right? I want to say to you this morning that worship reminds us of God's greatness. It compares my circumstance, big though it might be, to the greatness of God, and it helps me gain perspective. Psalm 42, verse 6, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Friends, there is great power in worship. It it can be difficult because things distract us from worshiping God. We need to remember that worship calls for sacrifice, surrender, and understanding of God's sovereignty. We can worship when we're in distress, when we're in lack, or when we're celebrating. Folk, I don't know how your worship has been recently. John chapter 7 verse 37 says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I want to say to you this morning, that there's a river within you. If you come to Jesus, will you come and let it flow? If you don't know Jesus today, will you turn to Him? Will you ask Him to save you and to become the Lord of your life? And then ask Him for rivers of living water to flow as we worship Him. Maybe you know the Lord, but the rivers haven't flowed very well. Then will you take a moment with me now? And let's worship the Lord. If you're sitting down, I encourage you to stand. Let's contemplate. Let's look to Him. Gain heavenly perspective for where we are now. If you're thirsty, come and drink living waters 
that will not run dry. God bless you.